Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. With John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Hey, I'm John Taffer. It's episode number 71 of my No Excuses podcast. It's October 22nd. Corey, it's like a week before. Nah, it's, I guess it's 10 days before uh, Halloween. Yeah. No, I'm excited. So, When you were young, what did you do on Halloween that was like particularly mischievous? Did you do any like uh, Halloween pranks kind of stuff when you guys were kids here in Vegas? Oh, man. I don't know if I can say it on air. Well, just give me a yes or no. Did you guys do that kind of stuff? Oh, no? yeah. Of course. Of course. We'd ride our bikes around and cause, cause havoc. Because I got to tell you, when, where I grew up in the East Coast, uh, uh, Halloween was a pretty brutal night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, as as a kid going through Halloween, uh, it's very different than when you're a parent having your kid go through Halloween. But uh, it's getting exciting. I like Halloween. I think it's one of our best holidays. And when you consider it was created strictly for commercial reasons, that really Halloween was created by the card companies to create and the candy companies and years of lobbying and, 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 you know, getting candy in the forefront and creating an event around it. It's pretty amazing. For example, Corey, did you know that this week is, uh, uh, and these are all the national days that all of our congressional and, and federal employees worked so hard to put together, leading up to Halloween, National Pumpkin Cheesecake Day oh. is today, actually. National Reptile Awareness Day is today. And National Clean Your Virtual Desktop Day is also today, which is interesting just, you know, to start the day with this whole pre-Halloween thing going on. But I just got to start this week's podcast with just a quick story. About 13 and a half years ago, Nicole and I bought a little miniature schnauzer from a breeder in Oklahoma. I'll never forget this, Corey. And we were living in Palm Beach, Florida at the time. And we bought this little eight-week-old guy from pictures online. This is 13 years ago. From somebody who we knew, you know, treated him kindly, and it wasn't a puppy mill or nothing like that. And uh, this guy got in an airplane and flew five hours, seven, eight weeks old, to Palm Beach, Florida. We picked him up at the airport. He was the tiniest little guy, and we took him home. And over those 13 and a half years, Corey, I can't tell you the depth of the relationship that I had with this dog. And, you know, the way we would communicate and spend 13 years together. Wow. The depth of conversations. And, and I can only equate it to relationships that I've had with human beings, where there was just a connection when, when you looked in each other's eyes and, and you know how each other was feeling. And for 13 and a half years, this guy was the center of my life, this little doggy. And my daughter, Sam, and Nicole were everything to me. And we lost him this week, last week. And after 13 and a half years, you know, it's hard when you think of these things in life, whether they're family members or or a dog or, or even, dare I say, a parent when I lost my mom uh, seven years ago. You know, you never quite figure out how to deal with these kinds of things in that depth of loss. So, uh, you know, for those of you who own dogs, give them an extra hug today. For those of you who don't own dogs, you should really think about it. You should really think about rescuing a dog, you know, enhancing a life. One thing I learned uh, uh, through owning my little guy, Winston, for 13 and a half years, is that every dog is a soul. 
and every one of their souls is special in some kind of way. So I want to say goodbye to Winston right on his podcast today and tell you all how blessed Nicole and I were to have that little guy in our lives. So rest in peace, buddy. And those of you curious to see what Winston looks like, he was one handsome dude. And you can see him on my Facebook channels. But rest in peace, buddy. You gave me one heck of a ride. You couldn't have possibly done any better. Before I go on, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcast or go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app. And you can get your new episodes every Tuesday. So it's the beginning of a new life for me without my little buddy. And I got to try to figure that out. It really changes everything. You know, when you sustain a big loss like that, life changes, but life must go on. And, you know, change is such an important part for all of us, whether we lose people or souls in our lives or not. We always have to change. And uh, uh, change almost is always for the better when you think about it in life. So I'm going to look at this change as, as uh, uh, something positive. And interestingly enough, when I go through our uh, <laughs> congressional days, our national days, uh, there's a couple of interesting things. For example, Corey, tomorrow morning is National Make-A-Dog's Day. Wow, look at that. Yeah. It's also National Nut Day, National Color Day. I don't quite understand what that means. I'm guessing, uh, I'm guessing it's not gang colors, but <laughs> I don't know what National Color Day is. And then later in the week, National Boston Cream Pie Day. National Mole Day. What the hell is that? Oh. <laughs> and, and this is interesting. On Johnny Carson's birthday, they made it National TV Talk Show Host Day. So that's a, that's a big day, I'm guessing, for, for Kimmel and, and Fallon and all those guys. So it's iPod Day, National Food Day, National Bologna Day, National United Nations Day. How about this one? Later in the week, National Greasy Food Day. Oh, I can get behind that one. Sourist Day. National Sourist Day. you got to be really sour. So how about, <laughs> how does this happen? Chucky, the Notorious Killer Doll Day. Wow. <laughs> how the hell did Chucky get a freaking day? You ever watch those movies? No, I hated those movies. I hated those too, man. <laughs> and, I, and I like a good horror movie, yeah. you know? Like, like I'm, I'm down for most horror. It was just so bad. Huh? I just didn't like Chucky at all, man. I just didn't like the whole thing. But there was a new one they did recently, if I'm not mistaken. A, a, a variation of it. Yeah, that's right. So that freaking Chucky got a national day. Chucky, the notorious killer doll day. Wow. <laughs> national Pharmacy Buyer Day. National Frankenstein Friday is this Friday. I don't know why the hell we would have Frankenstein Friday or what that is or why they would even take their time to do such a thing is remarkable to me. But during National Frankenstein Friday, it's also National Breadstick Day. Ooh. I think these things are just freaking absurd, to tell you the truth. <laughs> so October 26th. National Trick-or-Treat Day. Well, that makes sense. It's also National Financial Crime Fighter Day. Ooh. So I guess, you know, financial crooks are are praised that day. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. National Tennessee Day. National Day of the Deployed. Well, that's a good one for for our service people. National Mule Day. National Pumpkin Day. National Mincemeat Day. And National Make a Difference Day. And you want to hear how the week winds up, Corey? How? It actually winds up pretty good. National American Beer Day. Ooh, that's a good one. And by the way, hats off to American beers. You know what's happened over these past few years is these core brands of beer, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, their sales have been destroyed 
due to you know all the craft beers and all the new hipper innovative brands that are coming around and it's sort of a shame because when you do blind taste testing and I have and I've you know touched these brands and worked with these brands as a consultant as well as a bar owner and a consumer over the years they actually taste test really well and it's a shame that hip sometimes drives you know consumer preference much more than quality so i'm going to give a hats off to american beers right now for for national american beer day they actually did a great job and if you haven't had one of our core american beers in a while Try one. Try a Bud Light, a Coors Light, a Miller Light. Try one of those core brands, and I think you'll be surprised. They're probably better than you remember them being. Well, it's also Navy Day. Hats off to that. National Black Cat Day. And we're going to finish up this week, Corey, with you ready? I'm ready. National Mother-in-Law Day. Ooh, I don't have to worry about that yet. Not yet, but you will one day, buddy. And, and, you know, that can be either very pleasant or very unpleasant based upon the way it goes. You know, some of you have been uh, uh, a little worried. Like I even saw posts online. Oh, no, Bar Rescue is gone. Oh, no, Bar Rescue has been canceled. Oh, no, oh, no. Don't worry. None of that is true. I'm actually in about two hours getting on a plane uh, to head up to Sacramento. Uh, to shoot an episode. No, if you those of you who've watched Bar Rescue for years, you'll remember this when I say it. We always take a break during football, which makes perfect sense. So we always take a break during football, which we're doing now, and we're, there's not going to be a marathon this Sunday or next Sunday, which again is not unusual for this time of year. But we're on every weekday at eight a.m. to to uh, uh, um noon. So the daily marathons, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to noon, still continue. And we'll be back to Sunday marathons in a couple weeks. But don't worry, folks, because I have a uh, commitment with the network to do well, it was supposed to be 28 shows. Now it's 31 shows next year. So uh, Bar Rescue is not going anywhere. And I'm pretty excited about that. You know what's amazing about Bar Rescue, Corey? Is what's that? I just finished my 188th episode and it really just never gets old. You know, it's incredible. Last week, and I don't like to tell you too much because I don't want to ruin the episode for when you guys all watch it. But last week, I, I was with Marshawn Lynch, who uh, 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 in Oakland, California, up there with him uh, working on his bar. And that was a completely different experience than the week before and the week before and the week before. And, you know, Bar Rescue has taught me so much about how it can be a bar. And it can have liquor and soda guns and ice bins and ice machines. But, boy, the people are so different from bar to bar and bar rescue to bar rescue. And, and you know, that's why I think I keep going. I mean, spending a week with Marshawn was awesome uh, and his family who all worked in this bar. So I'm looking forward to this week. The fun part is, Corey, do you know where I'm going? Where are you going? I know I'm going to Sacramento. You know what kind of bar I'm doing? What, what kind? I have no freaking idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's great about it. So I'm going to get on my airplane in a little while. I'm going to fly up there. I'm going to get picked up by Ivan, who's the uh, the production driver. He'll take me to my hotel. I'll in, be in my hotel room for about an hour. I'll take a quick shave, right? I want to look good on TV. Take a little shower. I'll get picked up about an hour later. I'll go to set. I'll be given about a 60-second briefing. I'll see this place for the first time, and then the cameras start rolling. And I think that's probably why I'm still on TV, because... I learn about what's going on at the same time you guys do. I'm really never ahead of you. So don't freak out that there's no Bar Rescue Marathons this week. It's very, very normal. And uh, uh, we'll be back with Sunday Marathon soon. And if you need a fix, 8 in the morning, Paramount Network all week. We've got four or five episodes in a row all day. And those morning broadcasts will continue. There's some really good ones. For example, tomorrow morning at 8 is Fallen Angels. 
which was one of the first episodes I ever did. Rock and Roaches is on Tuesday, which is one of the worst. That I guess people love that episode, but I hated every freaking minute of it. That was Headhunters, where the bugs walked across Nicole's toes. And there's a whole bunch of great ones this week. Characters Assassination is on this week. Shamrocks and Shenanigans is on this week. And uh, on the 28th, A Horse Walks Into a Bar. The highest rated bar rescue episode of all time is on this week as well. So there's a lot of bar rescue going on for you guys who want to keep doing it. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Did you spend the night tossing and turning? I got to tell you, it sucks when it happens to me. My hip hurts, right? I'm a side sleeper. I get stressful. I'm tired all the next day. I don't think as well. You know, I've been waking up with a stiff neck and back pain, and I spent way too much on mattresses. I'm talking thousands and thousands of dollars, and I still don't get a great night's sleep. The founders of Purple are two brothers who've been developing cushioning technology for over 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. In 2016, they finally decided to use their patented comfort technology to create Purple, the world's most scientific mattress, and it is cool. Purple is different than other mattresses, and it'll probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It was not like memory foam I'm used to. The Purple mattress feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. So it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps really, really cool. It ends up giving you this zero-gravity-like feel so it works in any sleeping position. And you can get a 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return the mattress for a full refund. It's backed by a 10-year warranty, free shipping, and free returns. Listen to me, folks. You're going to love Love purple. And right now, my listeners get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the free gifts they're already offering. So just text TAFFER to 84-888. It's the only way to get this free pillow. Text TAFFER to 84-888. That's TAFFER, 84-888. Message and data rate supply. So, you know, Corey, we introduced our seltzer, what, two, three weeks ago? Yeah. no, oh, yeah. So those of you who don't know, we introduced Taffer's Sparkling Craft Cocktails in three flavors, just three flavors for now. We have six more flavors coming out in December, but we have three flavors now, strawberry basil, our, our cucumber jalapeno, and then a, a pineapple coconut. So last week, and man, am I proud of this, Corey, a few weeks ago, I was on TMZ, And I had just launched my seltzers, and I was in New York doing a media tour. And remember the guy from TMZ comes up to me and says, what, are you going after White Claw? Yep. And I said, I'm going to beat White Claw. As a matter of fact, it's better than White Claw. Remember that? Yeah. And people thought I was real cocky and this and that. Well, most of us have heard of BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah. And BuzzFeed is a powerful pop culture website. And it's very, very credible. And they went and tried 16 different Spike Seltzer brands. 16. 
And they started with 16 of them. And there's a whole chart uh, uh, on the BuzzFeed site that shows you, you know, the different ones that they started with. And they started with 16 different brands. And what they did, Corey, is they took the 16 different brands and they tried every flavor. Then they picked the best flavor of each brand and put it in competition. Okay. So there were 16 different products, each brand's best flavor, according to BuzzFeed, competed. So almost like a a bracket breakdown. Yes. And White Claw went down in the second freaking round. (laughs) End of story. (laughs) It it didn't rate at all, honestly. Uh, And the flavor profiles rated terribly. Truly, at least, made it into the semifinal round. And in the last round, it was myself against Truly, believe it or not. And on the other side, and it's a whole Brack thing, which you can see online. So the finalists were High Noon and Schmirnoff, believe it or not. Wow. Myself and Truly. And 16 of them came down and High Noon and Taffer's won. High Noon was rated best. Their son... Uh, uh, flavor. I forget which flavor it was, actually. And Taffer's Strawberry Basil came in second. And White Claw and all of them, buddy, they were miles behind. That's awesome. So TMZ, pull that clip up again. <laughs> and this time I'll say I did beat White Claw. So those of you who haven't tried Taffer's carb- Carbonated Seltzer, try it. And here's why you should. Almost all carbonated seltzers, people don't know this. They're malt beverages. They're beer with corn syrup or sweeteners and flavor. So when you drink a White Claw or many, many of the other seltzer brands, not to just pick on White Claw, uh, what you're drinking is a flavored malt product. That malt product has an aftertaste, just like beer has an aftertaste, right, Corey? Yeah, it's got a finish all its own. Taffer's seltzer is made out of orange wine. It is not a malt beverage. We use orange wine as our base, and the reason why we do it has a really clean finish, nothing like the malt beverage finish. So when you take a Taffer's and a White Claw, or honestly, according to the BuzzFeed, all of the others, and put them up and taste them in a blind taste test, you're going to see the difference between the malt product and, and my product. And I can't wait till you guys try it. So it's available now in, in uh, Florida. Walmarts, Texas, uh, and California. Nevada, it's available all over the state. Liquor stores have it. Uh, uh, um, uh, 7-Eleven has it. And uh, Walmart, of course, has it. So it's available in those four states. Keep a look. It'll be popping all over the country. We'll keep making announcements as we go into more states and more retailers pick it up. But I am really proud of Jay McGraw, uh, 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 Sean Kane, my entire team at Taffer Mixologist uh, uh, for, you know, really doing so well in this competition. And then I have another thing. I forget the name of the magazine. Boy, I'm terrible. I forget the name of the freaking magazine, Corey. But they just rated Taffer's Mixologist Bloody Mary Mix. I'm sorry, Margarita Mix as one of the top five in the world. Oh, really? Yep. So, you know, when you work on something, you don't rush yourself. You know, Corey, life gives you a choice of three things. Good, fast, and cheap. You get two out of three. You want it good and fast, Corey? It ain't cheap. You want it good and cheap? It ain't fast. And whatever the third one is, it ain't that either. So when we went into this, 
It wasn't a rush. We took our time. That's why our seltzer came to market months after many of the others. And the reason why is we tested and tested and tested and tried a malt base, tried an orange wine base. We were focused on product quality first and foremost, which is those of you who know me know that's what really what I'm all about, and creating reactions from the products. Once we had something that we said, wow, this is great, then we took it to market. So if you haven't tried it, try it. I'm really proud of it, and I must say, it was fun. <laughs> I'm going to say this, Gordon, I got myself in trouble. It was fun to kick White Claw's ass. It really was fun, because it wasn't even close, buddy. We left them so far behind in the taste testing that, that it's particularly gratifying to me because of what happened on TMZ. So, sorry, White Claw. <laughs> We're just better. So I got to hang out in Atlanta this week, which was sort of fun. And I was in Alpharetta outside of Atlanta, and we're building our first Taffer's Tavern there, Corey, which is pretty damn exciting. Oh, wow. So we're, we're building it there now. It's, it's under construction. It, it opens. Uh, we're not rushing it either. It, it probably won't open until the end of March because we're taking our time doing things right. And right now here in Las Vegas, and those of you who are interested in creating products and things like this. What we're doing right now in Las Vegas is is uh, we, we are getting a warehouse right now as we speak, and we're building a model, a 4,500-square-foot model of Taffer's Tavern in the warehouse. So we'll be able to have the furniture, the lighting, the kitchen, the bar systems, everything, a complete functioning Taffer's Tavern model in a warehouse. So we can walk through it, monitor flows, monitor lighting, see all aspects about the experiential element, the viewing windows, the video system, the sound systems, the sound volume, the sound pressure levels, all of these things we can work out through a model. Very few companies do that because very few companies have the resources to do things like this. But the greatest nightclubs in the world, for example, Tau is a good example of one. Lavo is a good example of one. Uh, brands like that do build full-size models to verify flow and lighting and sound quality and, and all of those things. So it's pretty exciting, and we'll keep everybody announced as Taffer's Tavern moves along. But we'll be opening an Alpharetta uh, uh, in just a couple months. So... Seltzers, mixers, bar rescue updates. There's an awful lot of stuff going on these days. It really is. It's crazy what's going on in the brand right now. So uh, 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 we are now working on the Taffer Tavern television show, which we're pretty excited about. And, and that should launch next year. We're just finalizing all the creative for that. And, and uh, I got to ask you, Corey, when you, when you look today at, at the BuzzFeeds, and what is your go-to site I mean, you're, you're, you're a young guy. You live in Vegas. You're a pretty hip guy. You live in the entertainment capital of the world. You know what a great nightclub is because you've been to some of them, right? You right. know what a great bar is. You certainly know what a great hotel looks like and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Where do you go to? What are the websites that you go to? You know, I think, I think with my generation nowadays, I don't go to a specific website for information. I like to go on social media and just see all the different websites and, and compare them. Um, it is probably the best answer i can give you so that so so you then you're a click-through guy click-through yeah i want to see what everybody's saying and then make my own opinion about it yep so, so you'll look at something on facebook twitter instagram whatever if it catches your curiosity then either you'll click through on it you'll google it and you, then you'll make your own determination right exactly so i'll see a topic and then I'll, I'll read an article and then i'll go on google and find a bunch of different articles about the same thing so you don't necessarily believe what you read no, not really. I mean, the way I grew up on social media, I mean, you can't. <laughs> so so when, when you read about companies like uh, Google or Facebook manipulating public opinion and stuff, 
Do you buy into that? Um, like, like, what do you mean? Like, just believe. For example, you know, I, I could turn around and, uh, you know, Facebook political. I don't want to get too political, but politically, right. you know, Facebook can favor one candidate over another. Oh, I believe that 100%. I do believe that, too. So would you think then that many of your peers don't click through like you do? They just read it at face value and move along? I think the younger generations are, are click throughs. Um, but I feel like the older generations are the ones that are um, just reading one article. Like the first thing they see, they'll read a headline on Facebook, and then that's that's fact. Like that's the only thing that you know goes through their head. So that's fascinating. So your view is that you think people who are slightly older than you, like I, that we're going to be more manipulated by social media than your generation would. One hundred percent. Wow, I completely disagree with you on that. Really? And that's fascinating. Sure, you know, and, and you know, it's it's interesting how we both think that. Yeah. So when we look online and we say things, for example, and, and again, I don't want to get political, but socialism is a great example. Today, there's a lot about socialism online. And when we look at the statistics of college kids and younger people and their opinion of socialism, it's scarily too high, right? People yeah. think, you know, oh boy, socialism is not bad. I get free college. I get free this. I get free that. Mm-hmm. But you don't own anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get anywhere. You never. So, so I find that when I talk to younger people on political issues and stuff, that they very much go on the face of it because they don't really know enough about socialism or the things they're talking about to really make that kind of a decision. Not that I'm saying one thing is better than another, because I'm not going to go there in this particular format, even though most people know my, my posture on those things. I believe in capitalism, and I believe in providing opportunity to people. But my point is this. You know, when you look at the statistics, you know, I think that younger people are reacting more to the face value of it than than but I, than, than older people like myself. So I wonder, Corey, if there's any way to find that out. Yeah, no, that's that's very interesting. So let's do some research for next week and yeah. let's find out who actually is doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, who is clicking through more based upon age group and 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 who is just going on face opinion? Because I'll tell you what, if I wanted to make everybody believe that 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 you know the the sky is green and I'm being extreme because nobody's going to believe the sky is green and i pound it and pound it and pound it and pound it online and you pound it and we get a couple of corporations to keep pounding it we can change public opinion no yeah completely so i wonder is social media correct in changing public opinion or is social media's view to voice public opinion you know it's a funny example of that car was uh, uh, um during the presidential election three years ago I was on Fox Business, a business show talking about business. And at the time, uh, this was before the Republican primary. So there were 16 Republican candidates then duking it out. Remember that? Yeah. So many of them. Mm -hmm. And the newscaster who I was on, Dave Asman, said to me on Fox Business, said to me, John, what presidential candidate do you think is the best for business? My answer was, you know, there's four steps to business, creating it, capitalizing it, running it and selling it. Make sense? Yeah. And it was only one person of those 16 people who had done those four things, Donald Trump. Yeah. So my answer was, well, I guess Trump would probably be best for business because he has a greater understanding of business. Well, they took that clip. They edited it down to make it shorter. And it seemed like I was endorsing Trump. 
Oh. Which, by the way, I had not endorsed or unendorsed. No, I'm not either. being negative towards the president at all. You were answering but a question. I was just simply answering a question about business. Well, I got more hate posts in my life, like over 100,000 in no time, <laughs> all because people had thought that I had endorsed the business skills of then-candidate Donald Trump. Well, okay. A week later, I'm in New York, and I'm with a good friend of mine, Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi and I are doing business. We had lunch together that day. And I took a picture with Whoopi online that afternoon. Well, the other side of the political spectrum, now the exact opposite. <laughs> now, all of the conservatives and people on that side said, how can you take a picture with her? Oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. And within minutes, I got over 100,000 hate posts and stuff. My point is this. No matter which way you go, you can't win, Corey. No. If I take a picture with Whoopi, I'm in trouble. I take a picture with the president, I'm in big frickin' trouble. So why does it matter? And why does it matter who I'm with to determine the type of person that I am? And why does it, is there evil if we don't agree with each other? And I find that premise fascinating. And my new book that I'm working on is, is really called The Art of Conflict. And it's the premise that, you know, we need to stick up for what we each believe in and not succumb to public opinion or succumb to Facebook posts. You know, what do things mean to us? And whatever it means to you, you should defend always. Because if you throw away what things mean to you, you're throwing away what is most important to you, values uh, and the aspects of life and big things and little things that are significant to all of us. So, you know, I look at all these things and I think to myself, a story that that a dear friend of mine who's a talk show host that everybody knows, and I won't say his name, he's a friend of mine, we post sometimes online together, and I've been on his show, and he's a dear friend, and this talk show host is best friends with a comedian, Corey, and this comedian is a stoner, drinker, doesn't show up half the time, and is is the exact opposite of this talk show host who is about as, as you know sober and dedicated and educated and disciplined as anybody could possibly be. Right. So I got these two best friends. One of them is completely undisciplined, a complete drinker, partier, blah, blah, blah. The other is the exact opposite in every conceivable way. And not only are they opposites, they're extremes on either side. One is very, very disciplined, and the other is incredibly undisciplined. So I say to the disciplined one, how can you guys be such great friends? I can't understand it. I would think that you guys would hate each other. And the answer was, you don't have to love everything about somebody to love them. And that's a really powerful thought, and that stayed with me for a long, long time. And I don't know how I got into this whole thing. You know, I guess it started with your question of clicking through online. But the fact of the matter is, we've got to stop disagreeing with each other so much. And we've got to stop the hatred. And somehow we've got to realize that there's something about each other that we all love. There is. You know, are we all baseball fans? Are we all football fans? Do we all like chocolate cake? But these commonalities are important because if we don't protect chocolate cake by sticking up for it and saying, I like chocolate cake, Corey, yep, it's fattening, yep, it's unhealthy, yep, it's politically incorrect, but I like chocolate cake. If we all stop saying that we like chocolate cake, chocolate cake is going to disappear. Yeah. And there's a lot of chocolate cakes in life. So we have to stick up for each other's right to say, I want chocolate cake, whether it's healthy or not, whether it's politically correct or not. We must protect our rights 
to chocolate cake. What a crazy analogy I came up with. <laughs> but it makes sense. But it does make sense because what happens is things that are important to us disappear if we don't stick up for our own opinions. Things that are important to our future as well as our past disappear if we allow them to. And the one thing that can't disappear is our opinions. And anytime we squish each other for an opinion, anytime I say I hate you because you had an opinion, anytime I squish your opinion, manipulate your opinion, turn your opinion into something evil, whenever I do that, I am putting a heart, a knife in the heart of America. An opinion is critical. That's why, Corey, the fact that you click through makes me respect you even more than I did, you know, but when I hired you a year ago and, and just got to know you. It means that you don't accept that opinion, that you're going to make your own. Exactly. So you're not going to let chocolate cake go away. No. A shame is that a lot of your friends will. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Man, what a great time of year. Beautiful weather and football is right around the corner. And if you're looking to add some excitement, make BetDSI your betting partner. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface. It's got a very cool mobile site. And most important, it's got the fastest payouts in the industry. So BetDSI offers options for everything. You can bet on NFL, NBA, NHL, boxing, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So try betting at BetDSI where you can bet on games from start to finish, every play, every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFFER101 to get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game till you bet at BetDSI. Shut it down! All righty, I'm back. So finishing up my whole point of arguing and sticking up for each other's opinions, look at Ellen DeGeneres last week. Ellen DeGeneres goes to a baseball game with a former president of the United States. Now, one could argue he did good things, he did bad things, but if I asked anybody to make a list of the good things that George Bush did as president, certainly there's a list of good things. AIDS research, funding for this, funding for that. He certainly did good things, as any president does. Nobody is purely evil. Isn't it interesting, Corey, that Ellen would go to a baseball game with a former president and get beat up on social media because she would dare to have a friendship with somebody of opposing political views. So absurd. Ridiculous. And I've got to tell you, I've been a fan of Ellen for a long, long time, but boy, did her equity go up with me when she stuck up for the premise that we can disagree and still be friends. 
Exactly. She stuck up for the fact that she respected George Bush's opinions, even though she disagreed with them. And hats off to Ellen, because when we respect each other's opinions more, I think we've got a better country. So let's not kill each other's opinions. Let's respect them. Let's draw them out of each other. Let's try to reason. Let's try to talk about these things. So that's my view, Corey. I got a little philosophical today. <laughs> yeah, you did. All right, all right. Let's change the subject a little okay. bit. So your social media has been blowing up. Like literally every one of your followers has tagged you in this video. So I just want to play it for you and just see what your, your reaction is. Just, what, is it a video of me? No, no, no. Okay. You'll just, you're just going to have to watch it and then you'll get it. Okay, let's see. <laughs> right. Yep, we're all good. Oh, wow. Okay, there is a beer glass between the butt cheeks of a scantily clad bartender. She is standing on a sink with the glass between her butt cheeks, pulling a draft beer. So far, her her, her butt is still dry. Uh uh, it's now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, now when she stands up, the beer glass seems to tip. And now she's topping it up. She got rid of the foam. <laughs> she got rid of the foam. And now the customer gets to remove the beer glass from her bed, but under the beer tap. So what are what are our social media fans saying? They want you to shut the bar down. <laughs> <laughs> I probably should. Could you imagine if I walked in on that on Bar Rescue? Oh, my God. Now, I got to hand it to the girl. It took some courage to do that. And she did have the acrimens by which to do it. I'm just surprised at how much grip that thing had. Well, she held that full beer glass between her butt cheeks, and that's not a very big butt. No. So there wasn't a lot of surface area to connect with that glass. So she held that glass, held it under the beer. But what's interesting is the first pour had too much head. Right. So she then reduced the head, oh boy, in her butt. <laughs> And served a pretty good beer with about a half an inch head. Customer then took it out of her butt. So what is wrong with that? You tell me. (laughs) It depends upon where you are, Corey. Yeah. I mean, if you were in a topless bar and that was a bit that people tipped and on some version of a table dance, if you will, I think it's sort of cool. It's a great way to merchandise beer. I would pay. I would buy the beer just to watch that again, wouldn't you? (laughs) No. Yeah, for sure. If it was another type of bar, I'd be completely wrong. You know what's interesting about sexuality is no matter where you are, sexuality needs to be approachable. So what she did is approachable in certain types of bars, right? Topless bars, things like that. Uh, In other places, it's not approachable. It's it's the exact opposite. People would run away from it. So I think it was freaking great, actually. My hands off. I'd love to know who she is. I think we should get her to do recon in a bar rescue episode. What do you think? Oh, wow. That'd be awesome. Also, can you imagine, Corey, if she could get a mixing cup in there and shake a cocktail in there? Oh, yeah. Maybe (laughs) another video for her. So if she held that pint-sized beer glass, which is a mixing cup, (laughs) why couldn't there have been some ice in there, a little margarita mix, put the top on it and have her shake her stuff and it would be a really well-shaken cocktail. So I would end this comment by saying that this bartender was badass. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good you surprised me on that one, buddy. So we got any In the Darks this week? We do, we do. So those of you that don't know this bit, In the Dark is just an opportunity for people to send us video and audio clips. Corey will play them. I've never heard them before, and I respond to them. Sometimes they're a little vulgar. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're a little more aggressive. Sometimes they're not. I've been called a few names once or twice, I think, Corey. Oh, yeah. I've been insulted once or twice. I have no idea what's coming. 
Go for it, buddy. Here we are in the dark. And by the way, those of you who like to do it in the dark, it's easy. Just do a clip yourself and send it to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com, and we'll put you in the dark. And when we do, if we use your clip, tell them what they get, Corey. They get a free signed Don't Bullshit Yourself book and a Shut It Down button. Both signed. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's about, I don't know, $50, $60 offer. Yeah. So don't forget, send your clips to podcast at johntaffer.com, and uh, <laughs> maybe you can put me in the dark. Let's see what you got, Corey. Hi, John. My name is Nick. I've been a big fan of Bar Rescue since the very first episode, Rax and Corona. I'm sure you remember it. I have a simple idea. Uh, while I did say I am a big fan of Bar Rescue, I think that another direction we could go in, uh, another interesting premise, I should say, would be to show people who might be interested in opening a bar how to initially go about doing that the proper steps to be taken, ways to track and manage inventory, do their books, as well as picking a good location, staying on theme, setting rules for staff and management, as well as ensuring you have a good relationship with the local community, dealing with the city, different issues that might come up along the process. I think it would be a whole new premise, but it would also run in line with what your primary area of expertise is. You could call it Build-A-Bar, and it would basically be a new revenue stream not only for yourself but for people who want to be successful in the bar business and if they mess it up then there's bar rescue to help them out again (laughs) thank you john appreciate the time so nick that's actually an interesting concept so i put them on the show first to build the bar and then when they screw it up, Corey, a year later, I put them on Bar right. Rescue to save the bar. So I'm cultivating my own casting for Bar Rescue okay. by opening bars. You know, it's funny that you mention that, Nick. And, you know, we've talked about this over the years. And, and uh, the new show that we're working on, Taffer's Tavern, is really just that. People that have not been in a business before are going to compete uh, 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 to either win or otherwise get a Taffer's Tavern franchise of their own. So we're actually looking at a format like that. And, and you know, the problem with it is that TV, when it becomes documentary style, becomes a very different show from human story. And Bar Rescue is very much about human drama, right, Corey? If somebody's in trouble, they're struggling, they're in debt, their house is on the line, their family is on the line, their marriage is on the line, that's a powerful story. When we're opening a bar, it's more about the the ingredients, the procedures, the policies, and it's just not as captivating television to learn about inventory it is as it is to learn about you as a person and the struggles and things that we all go through as individuals. So the new show that we're working on now, Taffer's Tavern, uh, uh, really encompasses both. It, it, it is infusing the personal story along with some of the more classic textbook and uh, business knowledge and business intelligence that one would need to run a bar effectively. But for those of you who don't know, we have a product called Taffer Virtual Teaching, which is tvt.com. And Taffer Virtual Teaching is about 30 hours of content built and designed and produced for people that want to open a bar and run bars. So it's B2B content. And if you go to taffervirtualteaching.com, you can watch a bunch of it for free. But so that content does exist. It's online, how to open a bar, promotion, marketing, human resources. Uh, all of that stuff is in Taffer Virtual Teaching. So we do do that stuff. And and Taffer's Tavern, I think, is going to be very similar in that you're going to see a lot more about how to open and operate more than the personal struggle involved in doing so. That was a good one. I like Nick. Thank you, Nick. That was a great one. You got any more, Corey? Yeah, let's try this one. Taffer, the man, the myth, the legend. What's going on, my man? Um, I had actually a quick question for you. I'm graduating college in about a year, 
and I was interested in moving to either two cities. I'm a 23-year-old young single guy, and I was wondering and tried to get your opinion if I should either go to Las Vegas or I should go to Denver. Thank you so much, and enjoy your day. Wow. Big change. Well, I went to college in Denver. And I've spent a good amount of time in Denver. Uh, a good friend of mine, Williams Brothers, own Medicine Man in Denver, so I'll go visit them sometimes. Uh, I have a lot of friends, family in Denver, so I spend a lot of time in Denver. And I've known Denver since I went to college there many, many years ago. Unbelievable city. But wow, is Denver different than Las Vegas? Other than mountains around us, I think that's about it, Corey. Yeah. So, so you know, Vegas to me is opportunity land. And you know, forgive me, I'm biased. I live here. 5,000 people a month are currently moving into Las Vegas. And, Corey, every one of them will get a job. Oh, yeah. When we look at the cranes all over the city, buildings going up everywhere, this is boom town. So it's hard. And as much as I love Denver, I love the lifestyle of Denver. It depends upon what one is looking for. Denver is also a great city filled with opportunities. But the lifestyle in Denver is very different than the lifestyle in Las Vegas, Nevada. So you need to think about what you're looking for career-wise. You know, me being in the entertainment business and being in the nightlife business, Las Vegas was a wonderful place for me. And I would, honestly... As a resident of Las Vegas and I guess sort of an unofficial ambassador for the city, I would tell anyone to move to Las Vegas anytime. The economy is great. The weather's great. Corey, don't you agree? Oh, totally. There's really nothing bad. Yeah, there's nothing bad I could say about Las Vegas. So that's what I would do, buddy. I'd hit Sin City. And I think it's a city of opportunity. And we will be right back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Please, I want everybody to join my wife, Nicole, and keep memory alive for a cocktail reception celebrating eight charitable women who strive to make a difference in my community of Las Vegas. Vegas Gives 2019 cocktail reception will be an unforgettable evening of philanthropy featuring signature drawings for fabulous fashions and one-of-a-kind experiences courtesy of Wynn Plaza Partners. If you're unable to attend, please consider donating to keep memory alive. All donations will be matched up to $10,000. Please help us meet our goal. Funds raised by Keep Memory Alive exclusively support the work of the Cleveland Clinic Lou Ruo Center for Brain Health and its fight against neurocongenitive disorders. And here's the best part. The first 50 people who donate $100 or more will receive a free Keep Memory Alive and Team Taffer shirt. And the first 50 people to donate $25 or more will receive a free purple bracelet in support of Alzheimer's disease. This is really important to me. Please join my, uh, my my wife, Nicole, and this is important work to both of us, and support Keep Memory Alive by visiting KeepMemoryAlive.org. That's KeepMemoryAlive.org. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. So for this week, Corey, you know, we've done so many interviews the past year and a half, and you know... I always want this podcast to be inspirational. So, Corey, for this week, I've really looked hard at a lot of the interviews that we've done. Ron Nicoli is a great one, uh, uh, who's a nightlife manager here in Las Vegas. I wanted you to pull out some of the most inspirational interviews and moments from the interviews that we've done this past year and a half. You know, Ron Nicoli is a great one. I think T-Pain is another great one. Of course, Frank Shankwitz from Make-A-Wish 
is another great one. So I'd love us to put together a little collage of what I think are some of the most inspirational people and inspirational moments and discussions that we've had on this podcast over the past year and a half. And there's a whole bunch of them. So we've been working on this all week. So before you hear it, I just wanted you to know these are what I believe are some of the most inspirational people and moments that we've talked to the past year, year and a half here on my No Excuses podcast. Hopefully this inspires you as much as it inspired me because these interviews were a blast to do. Give a listen. Starting off Taffer's top three inspirational podcasts with Ron Nicoli. Okay, so you're in Youngstown. You went into the bar nightclub business, and you, and you were like doing parties, right? You had lists and friends, and you were developing parties then? Is that how you really went into nightlife? So it was my it was my junior year in high school, and me and my, my good friend, a man named Dom Ragazine, his dad had a, a plot of land. Now, in Ohio, you understand, we got, we got a lot of things going on. We got a lot of farms, mm-hmm. a lot of farms, a lot of land. You know, the big event each year is the Canfield Fair. <laughs> so that, that's, that, that tells you a little bit about where I'm from, from Youngstown. And he had a plot of land, and me and my boy Dom would throw parties there. Mm. And this this was ways where we would throw about four big parties a year, and that's that's what we lived off of. You know that was our that was our income to to not have the traditional nine to five. So we'd so, from, sort of a rave, if you will, in its day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what the thing was is back then it was very very simple because you know I remember we would have a DJ and he'd have to go find his own equipment, and <laughs> you know it, we we were organizing these events at a very young age and. We were making enough money at that age to, to basically self-sustain for the period of three months until we threw the next one. Wow. And keep in mind, the hardest part coming from a, a small town is breaking that small town mentality. Because keep in mind, I, I went to college, graduated with advertising, marketing degree from Youngstown mm-hmm. State, and I come out to Vegas. And coming out to Vegas, I always loved nightlife. I always loved the hospitality industry. But when you're from Youngstown... Not necessarily a negative, but there, there is a stigma that, you, you know, you're 23, 24. You get married, you have kids, and you mm-hmm. don't go to clubs anymore. Right. That's, that's, you, do that, you do that to self-sustain through your educational period, but then you settle down. So yep. come out here the first couple of years, and even though it was my passion, I, I denied my passion because my belief was I can't do that. I can't do nightlife. That, that, that was something I did to get where I'm at. Mm. Now that I'm at here, it's I've got to find the career. So that, that responsibility you had when you were young settled in. Yes. So to you, dare I say, you never, you never shot where you ate. Correct. Yeah, neither Correct. did I. So, so, okay, you're in Youngstown, so now you're doing these parties. What was your first job in a bar? So I was, I think it was maybe like a junior in college. And there was, uh, there was this, this box, so to speak, and it was, it was called 1743. That was the address. And it's sitting in this plaza in Austintown, Ohio, where I'm from. And it had been re-ragged as probably about 10 different, 10 different clubs for mm-hmm. that space. And, and I use the club term loosely, but it was a club. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, probably about 10 different spaces over 15, 20 years. Yeah. And they're opening up a place, and a friend of mine gets involved in it, and they call it The Mill. And The Mill was the name because it had close connections to the mills that used to be open in Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. And you know, my grandfather worked at The Mill, yes. and then he was a barber. On the side. So, you know, he'd work at the mill during the day. He'd go cut his friend's hair in a bar at night. And that's what what grandpa did. And there was such a close connection to the community. Um, So he asked me, he goes, hey, do you want to come in and be a bartender? Now, I go in and I'm going to college to have a marketing degree. So I go and take the bartender job as a point of entry. At that point, what did you want to do with your life? Did you know? You're Uh, in college? I'm in college. Taking marketing? uh, 
taking marketing, and I think I'm working at that point about four jobs. I'm, I'm like doing. I'm doing. I'm doing the youngs. I called it the Youngstown Hustle because I'm literally running a tanning salon, working at a gym. I'm like doing like marketing concepts for like like a car dealership, like trying to help them with yeah. like the circulars yep. and flyers yep. and stuff. And then I take this job as a bartender. Wow! So you were always a bulldog. You always worked. Oh yeah. If I were to ask you then to close your eyes and picture what you would be doing five years later, what would you have come up with? Uh, I would. I would have never said Vegas. You know, here's the thing. I, I, when I tell the story, Vegas was an accident, and it really was. You know, Vegas wasn't supposed to be what I was going to do. I, I had. I had what I called is I called it waving the white flag. Looking back, I call it that. Got engaged because I felt that's what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty three, twenty two, twenty three. That was that was the that was Ohio the Ohio culture. The Ohio culture. Yeah, it's time to get married. Got engaged to a, a girl and great girl, but we just we we really weren't on the same page with life. But we both fell into that category. Get engaged, and about two weeks before my wedding, we called the wedding off. Wow, courageous actually. And. Basically, small town. You can't you can't heal in a small town because you go to the grocery store, you see each other, you see friends, you get questions. Mm-hmm. So my dad actually was the one who we had. I had a mutual friend who came out to Vegas, and my dad said, "Why don't you Why don't you go out there for six months? Because you're done. You're done with school. You're you're in between careers right now. You're trying to figure yourself out. Go take six months." And my dad put a little bit of money in my pocket. Uh, just enough to get going, and I ended up out here for what was supposed to be six months. Chasing what was going to be your future. Correct. Yeah. You didn't even know it at the time. I, I really had no clue. Um, so you come to Vegas. Yep. You, you check into a hotel, I guess? Um, well, here, the funny you thing. Stay with a friend? Stay with a friend. Okay. Stay with a friend. The, the, you know, there's, there's, like you're saying, there's kind of, there's two points of entry into Vegas. You're either, you're at a hotel extended stay or you're with a friend <laughs> yes. and, and you're, you're trying to find that, that quick path to success, so to speak. And I remember coming out here and I still had to fight the Ohio mentality because now all of a sudden I'm going to put my degree to work. Yeah. And one of my first interviews, I go and I interview and when I say this is funny because I tell my staff this story, Right. And some of them don't even know what I'm talking about. So it was Sprint Yellow Pages. And I go in for what's listed as a marketing coordinator job. Yep. And it wasn't. It was a sales job. Selling yellow, yellow yeah. pages, yep. And I go in, and I'm sitting there, and again, it, it was a pretty vigorous interview. So, and I didn't know, I didn't really understand the pay with the structure. And we get, we get through the end, and we get to an offer. And they, they make an offer, and I look at the pay, and it was scary. I, admit, I made more in Youngstown Ooh. doing doing what I thought were odd jobs. Wow. And then I remember just sitting there thinking, all right, well, what am I going to do? And now keep in mind, at, at this point, we're starting to see the clubs start forming in Las Vegas. You're starting to see the... the was Wynn open yet, the property? No. So Steve was at the Bellagio at that point in time. Steve was at Bellagio. Um, and I think like it was at that point where, you know, like Mandalay Bay had a great club program. Right. Mandalay Mondays, you had Rum Jungle, you had uh, Rum Jungle was a great concept with the fire and, and the water. Amazing concept. Yeah. Amazing concept. Because I, mean, I look at it, Rum Jungle, keep in mind, I'm coming from Ohio, you come out here and you go to some of these clubs and I'm walking to Rum Jungle and it's playing off every sense. Oh, it was incredible. Also, a, a, a Red Square was there. Red Mandalay was hot back in those days. Oh, it was, that, that was the hot spot. Yeah. Like, yeah, keep in mind, like, the, that's when, and not that they don't so much now, but industry nights meant something then. Like, Monday night, Right? Everybody was a man of it. And so I go there, and then obviously I always wanted to go to Studio 54. 
So Tuesday night, go over to Studio 54. And keep in mind, like, these things are mind-blowing to me. Yep, at MGM. At MGM. Then you got Taboo over there. So, again, like, everyone had their kind of niche. Everyone had their night. And you would go out, and the the massive people that would go out back then, you know. And, and again, it was – there was such a a unified community and nightlife that you knew where everyone was going on each night. And all this was really blowing my mind. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I really want to – I really want to do that. You know, but again, I'm still I'm still fighting that small town mentality. Right. So so why would you want to be in a bar when you're over 32, 33 years old, even to work there? Right. Uh-huh. So so, wh- so what did you do? What was your first bar job here? So the first job I take now. So I, I ended up getting to a point where my my love. There was two loves I had. I loved nightlife and hospitality. And I was always into health and wellness. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to open up my own personal training business. Because I'm, I'm, at, I'm at that point where i got to make a decision. Money, money is running out. Mm-hmm. I've got to figure out what's my niche in Las Vegas. And again, I'm still fighting the, the, the economics of, of really like, do I want to be this club guy? And keep in mind, like, part of the pressures coming out here was you got two sets of friends back home. You got the friends that ask you questions because they want to see you succeed and they're supportive. And then you got the friends that maybe because they, they didn't want to take that leap. There's a little part of them that wants you to fail. Boy, do I know that being on television. Right? Times yeah. 10. I can imagine. I can only imagine. Yep. Good. Um, so, we're, you know, I, I end up opening my own fitness business, a little personal training business. Yep. Get to a point of really sustaining. So, at this point, I'm 20, 24 years old. I've got a good client base. And I wake up one day and I realize, look, I, it, to most people, to me, maybe I had everything that I wanted. I was very lonely. Mm. I'm 24, getting up at six in the morning. It's like, a lonely business with one person at a time. Right. And when, then the other thing is, too, is you, you start realizing that these are clients. They're not your friends. It's be friendly but not friend. Right. And I'm like, man, like, I don't really know anybody. I'm out here alone on, on an island, and the only people I interact with are clients. And, you know, more and more, the longer I was away from Ohio, the less and less I spoke to friends from Ohio. So... All of a sudden, I'm developing a bit of fear, if you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And keep in mind, like the I understood at a certain point that there was nothing to go home to so that I had to put everything into what Las Vegas could be for me. What can I shape this to be? What can I make Las Vegas? Um, And then I meet Victor Dre. If you'd like to listen to the rest of that podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts right now. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Boy, Corey, to get your TV today, how many subscriptions do you have to have? Oh, man, way too many. It's ridiculous between the Hulos and the Netflix and cable and then satellite delivery services and HBO. By the time you're done, you have 20, 30 subscriptions and you're paying everybody just to watch TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. I want to say it again. Free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. No credit card needed, no sign-up. Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Download Pluto TV for free on all your favorite devices today. 
Next up, we have self-made American rapper, singer, songwriter, and record producer, T-Pain. Do you think when you look at Tiger Woods, right, and some of these athletes and people in the world who started really young, right, there's pictures of Tiger with a golf club when he's like six years old and stuff. Do you think the fact that you started so young is one of the reasons why you're so, I don't want to embarrass you, but you're so musically gifted? (laughs) Oh, man. Um, I, you know, I think I, I, I think it just comes down to more practice, I guess. You know, we just have, you know, people that start young just have more time to figure things out. And, you know, it, it becomes a passion and you really want to start figuring out more things. And at a young age, when you get people saying that you're good at something, that kind of drives you to really want to get good at it. Now, if I would have started at an older age around, you know, being a teenager or something like that. And usually when you get that age and somebody tells you you're good at something, that just means they're going to want you to do it a lot for free. So, That's right. That's so right. We, 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 have a, we have a different mindset when we're younger. Now, you know, when we are told that we're good at something, we, that means we, we want to learn how to do it better so we can start impressing more people because, you know, being a kid, you know, kids suck at a lot of stuff, so we don't get a lot of compliments. Right. So, you know, you want to get better and better at it and keep getting those compliments and, you know, just keep trying to impress people. And I think that comes into, you know, the play for the rest of your life. But, yeah, if you, if you start a little older, it just means people, you know, hey, man, you're really good at that. Why don't you come do it for me? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, it, it was, yeah, I think, I think starting out young was a big part in, in me actually wanting to be better. Who was your biggest mentor? My biggest mentor, I think it was my dad. My dad was my biggest mentor, man. He, uh, you know, he he always he, he put me through media training when I was like twelve. Like wow. so, <laughs> you know. What your dad uh, do? What your dad sure, do? Yeah, he made sure that I was always good. So yeah, I think it was my dad. What did he do for a living? Your dad? Uh man, I mean, he was a, a motivational speaker. He, uh, you know, he had a couple normal jobs. He owned his own restaurant, a seafood restaurant, for a while. Uh, you know, my dad was a my dad was a real true businessman. So, you know, he went around uh, uh, talking to the youth for a long time. Wow. And he was just a staple in the in the neighborhood, man. Just if you got anything wrong, any problems you need to talk out, you can come talk to my dad and, and, so, and he'll figure it out for you. So you're a bit of a chip off the old block in a way, then, when you think about that. A little so. bit, a little bit, a so, little bit, man. So your I, dad, right. your dad was very entrepreneurial. Your dad yeah, was very sure. community-minded, obviously, right? Really loved to support Absolutely. the community. And your dad was a, uh, an inspirational figure. I could say, yeah. I could say yeah. exactly the same things about you. <laughs> I try, man. You know, I just try to spread, spread good, good feelings and, and cheer to everybody, man. Everybody deserves to be happy. So, you know, yeah. I try to, you know, put that out there in the world through, you know, whether it be just having a conversation with somebody or music or any way I can convey that feeling or any way I can put that out there and get those vibes to other people, that's got to get out there, man. You know, when I, when I look at you and, and all the positive messaging you send out, buddy, whether it's, it's school or business, or one only has to look at your social media feeds for a couple of hours to realize how positive <laughs> you are. You know what I mean? Every message you send is so freaking positive. But, you know, when I look at some and I don't want to badmouth anyone, that's not where we're going. But when I look no, at no, I when I look at some of your peers in, in the music space and I look at some of the negative messaging out there, does that bother you? Um, it's, it's a form of, I mean, you know what it is, man? People have, people have succumbed to the, to the like machine. 
And, you know, I heard, uh, and, I, and it, it, I've been saying this for a while, but I just found a way to say it yesterday when I saw Gary V talking about it. And it's the like machine, man. People do things to generate more likes and people have been, uh, you know, they, 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 they've been subjected to the situation to where when they do put out positive messages, they don't get as many likes as they do when they put out the negative stuff. So they tend to gear their social media more towards what they get likes off of. And people are putting so much value into, you know, these internet points and the hearts and, you know, the numbers that you come across and things like that. People are putting so much power into that. They're changing their whole lives to where people in people that have known these people for years are like, why are you doing this? You, you don't, you don't ever act like this. Why are you so crazy on social media? Why are you so mean on social media? And it, it really comes down to, man, I just get more likes than I am. So I just do that. Like I've, I've met some of the, you know, the, some of the worst people on social media. And then when you meet them in person, it's like, this dude is the nicest guy I've ever met in my life. And it's literally just the messaging they put out there so they can get more likes and they can get more fake internet points in the hearts. And it, it is, you know, so I can kind of see beyond it. I can kind of see, you know, because we know the, the, the background and we know the behind the scenes of, you know, I kind of give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Like I, this guy can't be this much of an asshole. Like, yeah. it's just, I, I, I got to meet him first and then I'll be able to, you know, I'll be able to assess what's going on here. But I don't yeah. think, it's almost, I, you know, I try not to hold anybody to their social media, basically. No, I hear you. And, and it's it's a, a terrible testament to society that we respond more to the negative than the positive, you know, that we're looking for Absolutely. that. It, we're almost looking to see humans in places where we don't want to be ourselves. And that sort of sucks. Well, well, we well, and and a lot of the time, uh, you know, people look at celebrities and public figures, and they, you know, they think we're perfect. I don't know how, because you know, a lot of us try not to portray that, and we try to tell them, like, look, guys, we all got problems. We all still take shit. Like, everything's still with it. Everybody's got problems. You, you watch TMZ and you see all these people going through shit, and it's really like people want to know that we're not perfect, and it brings people joy to see, like, you know, it, it sucks to say, but it kind of brings me with joy to see, like, bad stuff happen to us. <laughs> like, oh, you get in trouble, too. Oh, you're in jail, too. You can go to jail for the same thing I go to jail for. Okay, money's not going to fix everything. But, you know, and then when we say, when we, you know, when we get money and when we say, guys, money's not going to fix everything. I just found this out. I thought it was going to fix it, but then I got money. Uh, nope, I'm still I'm still in a bad place. That the money doesn't fix depression, and then everybody's like, "Oh, you're just rich." Oh, why do rich people say this all the time? And it it, it, it kind of breaks my heart that people don't listen to these things. But you know, sometimes you just gotta find out for yourself, and, yeah. that, it, it, and it hurts worse that way. It sure does. So you know what I find even on Bar Rescue is, is you know people want to see me scream more than hug. And, and yeah, you know, and when 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 there's a lot of screaming, of course. Now, now you, I know you've watched the show because we, we've communicated <laughs> oh, yeah. about it before. But you know, the screaming is with a good intention. I'm trying to help the guy. I'm not trying to hurt him in the end. So, so absolutely, you know, so, yeah, yeah. So, you gotta you gotta hear that stuff you say. It's not just you coming in saying I know what the hell I'm talking about. And do it this way. Do it this way. You're like, no, I'm trying to help, and you're not listening. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so, so I got to scream a little louder when they're not listening. You know, I got to make sure they're right. Right. It's all 
always a good place. You got to tell them they blew it, and 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 it, they and they start listening. And when people start walking out, then when you walk out, then it's like, look, I'm not here to fight you. I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to tell you that I've seen the patterns of what's going on. Now you trying to bust open the books, hand it over to Bar Rescue, then do that. But if you're still going to be resistant when I get here, then mm-hmm. uh, you can't help people that don't want to be helped. That's the truth. So you know That's you got to let people find out on their own sometimes. Yeah, sure is the truth. <laughs> so so when you were young, and and I have so much respect for you, buddy, and and, and I want to tell you why. Thank you, man. You too, brother. You know, you know when, when when I meet so many celebrities, they don't see celebrity as a responsibility. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yep, and you true. do. You see your celebrity. You have a responsibility. You do stuff all the time you don't make money on just to send out messages. And so you, oh, yeah. you take a look at your celebrity as something that you're trying to do good with and responsibility. When did you connect those dots? When did you realize that, okay, I got to do good here. I want to make a difference. Or did it just happen naturally as a result of growing up with your dad? Oh, man, you know what? It actually took me a while because I got into it so young. I didn't know how to deal with it or handle it. I didn't think, you know, because I was going from my perspective and my mindset. So I didn't think people put that much uh, pressure on celebrities to be who they want them to be and who they, you know, people look up to celebrities, they follow them and they do things that other celebrities do. So, you know, I've never done that. So I didn't think that other people did it. But when I came up, it was a, a reckless thing. And, you know, I was just doing what I wanted to. Yep. And, you know, I had a bunch of money. So it was like, whatever. But around, I think around 2011 is when I started like, wait a minute, people are, people are like imitating me. People are, people are starting to uh, really listen to what I'm saying and, doing these things and then you know the the subject and the, the subject matter matter of my song started changing and you know what i'm saying just uh conceptually like just yeah you know i started making sure like wait a minute okay i need to stop telling people to, to drink themselves to death right. <laughs> i can right. calm this down some and save some lives and stuff like that and i really you know started calming down with it as i learned you know and i, I went through you know because i got signed when i was 20 years old yep. and coming up from then was like man i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be partying for the rest of my life if you'd like to listen to the rest of that podcast head over to apple podcasts or google podcasts right now rounding it off with our most inspirational hands-down episode is frank shankwitz the co-founder of make a wish this guy's story is absolutely remarkable Take a listen. When did you think of, and talk to me about, you know, when Make-A-Wish was even conceived? Was it a particular child and situation that caused it, or was it, you know, the, the thought first and then and then find the child who needed it? Talk to me about that for a few minutes. Yeah, and, and it, it started back in the early 70s. You mentioned it on a motorcycle tactical squad. It was a 10-man unit. We worked all over the state of Arizona. Two weeks in one town, two weeks in another town. And during that period, and this is in the mid-70s, the uh, TV show Chips became very popular. Sure. <laughs> and for people who don't know, Chips was the adventures of the New California Highway Patrol motorcycle officer, Ponch and John. It was on NBC. It ran forever and ever. Eric Estrada. <laughs> yeah, very popular with the, uh, the age group of uh, 7 to 14 mm-hmm. of that demographic. Except for the girls, it was seven to about fifty because of uh, <laughs> and his smile. <laughs> but as we started going to little towns, um, the two-man team usually the grade school kids would see us and they just start yelling, "Hey, Punch! Hey, John!" 
Oh. And we got a kick out of that. And our equipment, our uniforms are almost identical. And ours, ours is Arizona, obviously. In fact, we trained with California Highway Patrol initially up in Sacramento. And I just asked our commanders, if we have some downtime in these little towns, can we go to the grade schools and start talking about bicycle safety? And they thought that would be a great PR tool, which we did. Now, the kids could care less about bicycle safety. They just wanted to crawl all over the motorcycle. Yeah. Again, it, it was just a, a great PR thing with the mm-hmm. town, with the teachers, and so on. And in 1980, um, I was patrolling way up in here in northern Arizona on a motorcycle, and I get a call from a dispatcher, um, check out at a telephone, the nearest telephone. This is before the days of cell phones. Yep. And you drive 40 miles to find the nearest payphone. And she said, we've just been informed, a customs agent named Tommy Austin has befriended a little boy named Chris. Chris is seven years old. Chris has terminal leukemia. He's only expected to live a week or two. And his heroes are Ponch and John from Chips. And he told his mother, when I grow up, I want to be a motorcycle officer, just Uh, like Ponch and John. uh, And the customs agent said, is there anything the department can do to uh, just have him hang out for a day if he can get permission from his doctors? Because this little boy is in bed on IVs. Yeah. Uh. To hang out with one of the motorcycle officers, see the guys, see the equipment. And I just happened to be the officer they chose, maybe because I would all over the state, you know, working with the children, interacting with them. And I had never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. And they timed it where our helicopter, in fact, our state police helicopter picked him up at his hospital. And they timed it where the helicopter is approaching the landing zone that I am coming down from the mountain area into our headquarters area. And I could see this little face pressed against the glass of this helicopter, just this huge grin on his face. Now, I'd never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. The helicopter landed. I thought our paramedics are going to help him out the door. Uh, He had just come off these IVs. Yeah. And instead, the door opens out, jumps this little red pair of red sneakers, uh, runs for the motorcycle. Hi, I'm Chris. Can I get on your motorcycle? Well, of course you can, Chris. This little boy is just laughing and giggling. And he had watched Chip so much, John, that he said, this is Zyron. Can I turn it on? These are the red lights. This is this. This is that. He knew everything about that motorcycle because uh, ours was identical. Yeah. And he said, what's in your saddlebag? It's the same as Punch. <laughs> but I'm looking at his mother and she's crying and, and I had never met her and I, why is she crying that had dawned on me she has her 7 year old back this little boy is just being a typical 7 year old just having the time of his life yeah at that moment he's not sick right and he went on that day to become the first and only honorary highway patrol officer uh, in the history of our highway patrol we had the next day we had a custom made uniform made for him, uh, his own badge that's still assigned to him today, the smoky hat. Uh. And the following day when we went to deliver all this to his house, we got permission to go to his house. I led several motorcycles, squad cars. And he came up to me and uh, very proud in his uniform uh. and, and started touching the wings that motorcycle officers wear. And this is the first time I heard this word. He said, I wish I could be a motorcycle officer. And I just started teasing him and I was saying, Chris, this is the training we go through. It's a shame you don't have a motorcycle. We train you right now in your driveway. We put up some traffic pylons and see if you can go through them. 
This little boy runs in the house, comes riding out on a battery-operated motorcycle that his mother had got for him in place of a wheelchair. Oh, wow. He's just all serious. He's got on a helmet. He's got on the aviator glasses. He goes through the drones. He comes back. Am I a motorcycle officer now? Yes, you are, Chris. When do I get my wings? Well, those were custom-made also. And I said, Chris, I promise I'll get your wings. It'll take a couple days. A couple days later, just as I pick up the wings again, the dispatcher says, call in. I call. She says, Chris is in a hospital, in a coma, probably not going to survive the day. You're authorized to drive into Phoenix to go to the hospital, which I did. Chris's uniform is hanging right by his bed. Just as I pinned on the motorcycle wings, he came out of the coma. He looks at me. He big grin on his face. My motorcycle officer now. Yes, you are, Chris. His wish had become true. And unfortunately, he passed away a couple hours later. Wow. Yeah, I was, John, I always like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. Yeah, what an unbelievable story. So, so, so there came the word wish. He, yes, that's he, the first time I heard that. And, and you made his wish come true. Well, myself and several others, obviously. Sure, sure. But, but our commanders approached me a couple of days later and said, we just learned that Chris is going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois. We have lost a fellow officer. We would like you and your partner to go back and give him a full police funeral, which we did. Now, again, this is before the days of Internet, but the local press is picking us up, TV stations. And we were met in this little town of Kwani because the word I got out by Illinois State Police, City Police, County Police, all wanting to give this little trooper a full police funeral. Wow. And he's buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But flying home, and this gets back to your original question, I just started thinking about, here's a boy who had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea to start the Make-A-Wish Foundation was born, maybe about 36,000 feet over Iowa or Kansas or something. Wow. So, so now you've got your idea, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Well, now it's going to take an awful lot of people and resources around you to make these wishes come true. If you'd like to listen to the rest of that podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts right now. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, that does it for episode 71, Corey. An inspirational episode, I might add. Very. So so uh, when I say goodbye to everybody, I want to give my final goodbye to my buddy Winston. Thank you, buddy, for everything for the last 13 and a half years. Talk to you all next week. Take care.